Shall we turn in our Bibles today to the book of Matthew chapter 13? The book of Matthew chapter number 13. And uh, we will begin at verse number 24. I am so thankful that the hand of the Lord is on this church. Amen. He's doing great things. And uh, we rejoice with you today at the things that God's doing in your life. I am... Uh, I'm looking forward to this day. I was very restless through the night last night and uh, just kind of have a spirit of anticipation, believing that God is going to do something amazing in this house today. I want him to trouble the waters of our hearts today. Amen. And speak something to us. I, uh, I certainly don't want to jump ahead of myself as I step to the pulpit today. But I've come to lay some, some things to rest in the hearts of some people today that the enemy has tried to fill your mind with the understanding that because you don't have it all together, because you're not perfect, because you've made mistakes, that God is going to wash his hands of you and be done with you and that there's nothing else that can be done with your life. But I'm believing today that God is going to set your mind at ease. And when you leave here, you're going to realize that you are more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Chapter 13 of the book of Matthew, if you would. And we're going to jump down just, uh, just short of halfway down through the chapter to verse number 24. And if you will join me there for the reading of the word of God. That's where we'll take our text today. 13 and 24. Another parable put he forth. Unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Quick question for you What kind of seed was sown? Amen. Just making sure we're all reading out of the same book here. But while men slept, while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and then went his way. Does the good seed stop being good seed? But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, at the same time then appeared the tares. The harvest is coming forth. The wheat is coming through the earth. And the tares are revealed at the same time. So the servants of the householder came and they said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in thy field? Man, I feel this this morning. I hope I can deliver it. The enemy's tried to make some of you question the seed. And the seed is not the problem. They said, if your seed is so good, then why is there tares in the midst of this? Why? Do we have tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. And so the servants responded the same way that you and I would have and said, Well, then shall we go gather them up? Would you have us go take all of the tares out? Because the tares are going to influence our harvest. And he said, No. Lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them sometimes it's hard to tell the difference until harvest time verse 30 let both grow together somebody say that with me today let both grow together until the harvest and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers Gather ye together first the tares, bind them into bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Shall we take them up? No. What do you do? You wait for harvest season. And when the harvest time has come, there will be a separation between the wheat and the tares. The tares shall be burned up, but the wheat shall be our portion. Today I'm going to preach to this congregation with the help of the Lord for the next few moments. They grow together. 
they grow together. Father, thank you for your word today. Speak to us in this house. We require a touch of your hand right now. Lord, I plead the blood of Calvary over this congregation and all that have gathered therein. And I pray that your divine purpose would be exposed, revealed, and that it would be fulfilled. I pray today, Father, for good soil. Because the seed is always good, it is right. Help us to understand today, Lord, that you will work if we'll let you work. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, let the church say amen. 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 Look at your neighbor and tell them this morning they grow together. You may be seated in Jesus' name. To be completely honest with you, I could read this chapter alone and preach to you what I'm trying to get to your heart, but I want there to be a precedent set and understanding that this is not a one-time occasion. This is not something that just happens one time in the scripture. As a matter of fact, from the beginning of time, at the account of creation and the first family formed in the image of God until this present day, there is a precedent that has been set. And we find it as the common thread running through the narrative that unfolds before us today in Matthew, the 13th chapter. It seems to me that in this life, anytime you try to do good, that evil will be present. We have Bible to back this up for it was the great Apostle Paul who said himself that when I would do good, evil is present with me. It's there. It's as though it's literally impossible to sow good seed without something pushing back against what has been sown. There is this misconstrued conception and misnomer that in some manner if I give my life to Jesus and I serve the Lord then God should by all rights remove from me the pushback of the enemy. But if you think that you've been fought in your life until present day, you ought to see what happens when you finally decide in your heart that you're going to take a stand for truth. And that you're going to stand for truth no matter what it costs you. And you're going to live for God. I'm telling you today, folks, if society doesn't teach you this, then maybe you can learn it in the kingdom of God. There is no pushback against the ordinary and the mundane. Any old stick can stand up in a pond that's shallow in the mud. But it takes some grit to stand up when you're standing up against the flow of the river that's coming against you. I'm declaring to you today that there is nothing wrong with pressure coming against your life. It's not the pressure that's going to kill you. It's how you deal with the pressure that's going to decide what you look like on the other side of the pressure. Now, I, I mean no disrespect when I make this statement. I hope that you will find the humor in it coming from my heart with a humorous spirit and no underlying perfidy in my spirit, of course. But I want you to know that I have made the statement many times when people ask me how the church is going and how pastoring is going that I'll make a statement to them and say, you know, if it wasn't for people, pastoring would be easy. You understand what I'm saying? If it wasn't for people, this would be pretty easy. As a matter of fact, if it wasn't for the troubles that people go through, I'd tell everybody in the world, be a pastor, because you get to love people. But if you love people, then you get hurt by people. If you give yourself to people, then you risk people walking on your heart. And when you preach and you preach and you preach and you love and you give and you send and you love kids and you love their parents and you, you love the family and you, uh, you exhaust your resources doing the very best that you can and somebody in some way, shape or form will look at you and say, but it's not enough. You start questioning, man, how much more does it take? What do you have to do? What in the world do you have to do to make people fall in love with Jesus? 
What do you have to do to make people fall in love with the word of God? And here's a principle that if you're ever going to lead, you've got to get down in your heart. You can't make anybody fall in love with Jesus. You will never make somebody be righteous. Never in a million years will you make somebody love righteousness. But if somebody wants to fall in love with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, I want to tell you the other side of that story. There is no amount of pressure in the world that can make them stop loving Jesus. You can't. You, you can't get involved in harvest and not get dirty. I would laugh at a farmer who climbed up in his tractor in a three-piece Armani, had his knot just right in his tie, had on a sweet-looking pair of meslins, looking just fine, some crocodile skin, some gator skin meslins. When you pull up to the field, the inside of his tractor is completely armor-rolled. His tires are black. I'd laugh at him. Because that man is expecting a harvest without making an investment. You know, as powerful as this whole story is, the parable that Jesus is telling... If you make the sower stop sowing good seed, then the whole story goes away. The parable is about a man who is busy. And while he is busy, he stops to rest in the night. And some evil thing comes in and plants tares in the night. And he says, an enemy has done this. Folks, if you're not willing to invest, then you never have to worry about an evil thing being done. I'm going to help somebody before we leave here today. While men slept, the enemy came in. So the enemy likes to bring guilt onto the sower. He said, well, you, 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 took a, you took a break. And while you stepped away and took a break, you were resting. Some enemy came in and sowed tares. You know, it's an interesting thing how the enemy can sow things in your life. And make you feel the guilt in the harvest season. The harvest is a process that takes time. Nobody had a clue that there were tares in the wheat field. Until it was time to start seeing a change of season. And what was hidden in the ground began to be revealed. And it took the trained eye of somebody who had worked that field to know there's something not right about that. There is something different. Truth be known to you that if just a common man were to walk through a wheat field and there were to be tares there, the average man could not tell the difference between the wheat and the tare. The time of telling the difference is when the fruit begins to grow on the stem because the fruit always tells the story. That's why Jesus said you will know a tree by its fruit. Don't judge my harvest by the blade that's coming up out of the ground. Judge my harvest by what's happening in the harvest season. Pastor, what what, what are you saying? I'm going to be real right here, Bishop, for just a minute. What I'm saying to you is not everything that grows is worthy of being called harvest. Just because growth is happening somewhere else in another field does not mean that it's going to be ready for the harvest. I want to tell you right now that the enemy would love to make you believe that by sowing some kind of a hybrid seed that good fruit would come out of it. But that will all be revealed in harvest time. There was only two things in the field and it was wheat and it was tares and the wheat was good for the harvest in the barn and the tares were not good for the harvest but would be driven away and would be burned up I'm telling you right now that in the kingdom of God we have got to stop calling everything harvest that grows in the field Well, they stopped preaching holiness and they're growing. You haven't seen the harvest yet. (laughs) 
You know, I think sometimes we allow the enemy to play tricks on our minds and make us believe that there is greener grass somewhere else. And I want you to understand today that Instagram grass is not real. Some of you that just, I'm saying you're, ju you're judging your harvest based on somebody else's picture. It's incredible what they can hide behind a filter that is not reality. You know, these multi-million dollar supermodels and fitness models. They're always posting online. I want to tell you all something, young girls. I want you to hear me. They get zits. Their breath stanks in the morning. Because they're human. And these dudes that tell you they live a clean diet 365 days of the year, they're liars. That's why they have to lean out before competition because they've been hitting Krispy Kreme during bulk. <laughs> Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? I'm saying that the enemy has tried to make us believe there is a false reality that really does not exist. He has tried to make us believe that revival looks and feels and sounds differently than what revival looks and sounds and feels like. Harvest has got some dirt under the nails. They're not harvest is not French tipped. You understand that? Neither are apostolics. But understand this preacher when I tell you today that the wisdom of the man speaking to his servants with their quick-witted response when they said well, if tares have been sown, then we've got to go get the tares and we've got to clean them out and we've got to fix them today. The wisdom of that man said, be patient because we're going to judge the fruit. It shall be judged at harvest time. Woo. If I could preach, I would right now. It shall be judged at harvest time. It will be judged on that day when the hand of the reaper comes through and begins to separate. He said, then I will pick first that which does not belong so that when I look across the field then, the field looks somewhat different because I don't want to have to walk through the field and getting the two mixed up. Understand, the reason he did that is because he wanted to be certain that no wheat was burned up and that no tear was stored up. Go get them, pastor. Put on your pastor badge. Go get those people. They sinned. They messed up. Go get them, pastor. You go tell them how it is. I love those people that come screaming that to me in my office with a telephone pole hanging out of their eyeball. Go get them, pastor. You know what they've done, and for real, do you know what the, who they did it with? Do you know what's wrong with those people? Pastor, do you know those people's problems? I'm going to tell you right now. If we're going to start opening up the book and judging people, I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to get me a, a bowl of popcorn, and I'm going to watch. We need, you know what we need? We need some more Kermit the Frog mean people in real life. That'll sip that little cup of tea and say, no, that's none of my business. We need some people that will just get real and say, look, I know that people are people and that people are going to fall and that people are going to mess up, but I refuse to kick them while they're down. I refuse to beat on them while they're bowed low. I'm going to pray for them that God would raise them up and that he would turn things around in their life. I'm going to let God separate the wheat and the tear. Pastor. I want you to understand 
They're going to stop the growth of this church. They're going to stop what God is doing. Find me one scriptural reference that says to me that the tares can stop a harvest and I'll change what I'm standing on today. You listen to this preacher when I tell you that wherever there is nature of humanity, there will always be sinful nature. But where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. And I've never seen a person that got perverted in their thinking that could stop a Holy Ghost revival. You listen to what I'm telling you right now. If we'll get revival fire hot enough It'll burn the tears out of the church It'll burn the sin out of the choir It'll burn the sin out of the pew Let's have revival Turn me loose pastor I'll go get them He said no They grow together let them grow together. Yeah, but I know what's up with them. I know I know exactly what's going on in their life. Then make that a matter of a prayer room and not a matter of a Facebook discussion. Hear me when I tell you today, I don't know how else to break this down, but to just lay it out there and tell you, there is going to be harvest in this church. There is going to be revival in this church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let the tares grow up. Let them say what they will. But they grow together. And there's coming a harvest. Pastor, you know so-and-so's been talking about you. Yeah, I'm not a dummy. You know they're not on board with the vision. That's okay. Are they going to stop your harvest? Because they're not stopping mine. Pastor, who are you preaching at? Nobody, I hope. I hope I'm preaching hypothetically because as of yet, it hadn't got to my desk yet. I'm making to you a point to understand today. Not everybody has to be on board with your faith for your faith to succeed. Not everybody has to understand why you trust God and live for God for you to still live for God. Don't you ever let a field full of tares take away the power of the harvest that is within you. It does not change your fruit. book of Revelation there are seven churches and I don't want to take too long today I want to get where I'm going I told the Millers this morning I said you guys are in luck today I'm starving to death for those of you that are still trying to figure out what I'm saying a hungry preacher doesn't preach as long as a full one chapter 2 1 through 7 Revelation you got Ephesus the loveless church the church of Ephesus had many Admirable qualities and one tragic flaw, but it was enough. Christ commended them for their good work, for their perseverance, for their church discipline that guarded against false teaching. But verse 4 nevertheless reveals to us. He said, I have this against you. You left your first love. Then you got Smyrna. Smyrna wasn't all that bad. It was two, uh, there were two of the seven churches that received no rebuke. From Christ and one of them was Smyrna. It's a pretty good church, but Pergamus, oh, what about Pergamus? Pergamus was the compromising church in 2, 12 through 17. Pergamus was nicknamed Satan City. As a matter of fact, John said it's the very seat of Satan because of its paganism and idolatry. Professing faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, carried severe consequences in the bedrock of this pagan activity. But the church demonstrated conviction and courage by its mere existence. Yet, even in its existence and standing against idolatry, there was still idolatry that crept its way into the congregation. They had yoked the gospel with paganism, drawing Christ's stern rebuke. Repent! 16. Or else I will come quickly to you and will fight against them With the sword of my mouth. Good church. But you got some tares in there. What about Thyatira? It's the adulterous church. 2 and 18 through 29 on the surface. The church was commendable for its love, its faith, its service, its patience. But Christ, verse 18. With eyes like a flame of fire. Recognize the deficit in the church. (laughs) The one 
who searches the minds and the hearts of the people, pierced through the veneers and penetrated the heart of the problem. And the heart of the problem was immorality. According to verse 20, it only took one self-proclaimed prophetess to corrupt the church. Sardis was the dead church in 3, 1 through 6. In this message, Christ reveals himself as he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And we don't want to go too deep, but the seven spirits simply represent the completeness of the Holy Ghost ministry in the body of Christ. Five, uh, five and six, and in Isaiah 11, two through five, you can read about that if that's what you so wish to do. But the complete ministry of the Spirit of God working in the church is what the church at Sardis had shut out of its affairs. When the Spirit came to work, basically, there was trouble for the Spirit working because they had shut the power of the Holy Ghost down in their dead church. The other churches received praise from Christ along with his criticism. But with this church, there was absolutely no commendations, only condemnation. He said, I know your works. That you have a name, that you are alive. But you, you are dead. He said, I put before you an open door. And no man can shut it. But you got a problem. You are a dead church. It was full. It was a place that was full of what you and I would call nominal Christians. Christian in name only. They want the world to believe that they are alive. But if you could get beneath the surface... You'll find out they don't really believe what they say they believe. That's why they don't want the Holy Spirit working. Because the sevenfold Spirit of God is an illuminator. And as it begins to illuminate the darkness, it'll reveal everything that's dead. And the Lord said, I have come searching through the church at Sardis to tell you right now, I'm about to reveal the death in this church. Because I don't want no dead thing in my church. What about the church of Philadelphia? It was the, the faithful church, the church of love. Oh, my goodness. Christ commended Philadelphia for four things. They had an open door. They had a little strength. They kept the word of God. And they had not denied the Lord. What a great church. What a great church. But then you got Laodicea. Man, Laodicea. We could, we could start drawing lines from that scripture to churches all across America. The church of Laodicea in 3 and 14 through 22. Some of the Lord's harshest words that were recorded throughout the scripture were directed at the church of Laodicea. In 3 and 16, he said that the church of Laodicea literally made him sick to his stomach. He said, you make me want to spew you out of my mouth. He said, you are lukewarm. You're not cold and you're not hot. You've got some issues in the church. He said, you're lacking in every single way. You are compromising. You are conceited. And you are Christless. There are issues in the church. And while I was reading through the seven churches, all of a sudden I began to feel a little sick to my stomach as I realized that all seven churches, except for two really, were spoken to strongly by the Holy Ghost. Because wherever there were people and wherever there were churches, there were problems. But I kept on reading, Bishop. And when I got down to the bottom of that, I began to read about a candlestick that had seven candles on it. And it represented represented the church and represented the seven churches and when I started reading about the candlestick I started noticing Laodicea I started noticing Smyrna I'm looking at all the problems and all the churches but John said in the midst of the candlestick I saw the son of man he said in the midst of a church with trouble and problems I saw Jesus walking in the midst of that trouble the trouble didn't run him off and he wasn't there because they had it together this in no way applauses men who in open rebellion bring sin to the church what I'm saying to you today is I'm not here to pat the sinner on the back I'm here to let the rebellious know you can't stop him from working. Pastor, what if so-and-so doesn't ever get it right? Then they're going to miss it. Well, whose problem is that? Well, it ain't mine. I learned as a boy, you got one or two options. 
And I don't want to oversimplify this, but it's pretty simple. You either live for God or you don't. I know there's some doctrines that would contradict this, but they're not true doctrines. As a matter of fact, they're damnable doctrines that would say after the, after the rapture, you're going to get another chance. No. Sorry, Charlie. No. I'm going to tell you right now. We've either got to get on now or we're going to get left. You either got to live for God. Hear me when I tell you right now that the seven churches, I understand the seven church ages. I get all of that. I believe there's some validity to that. But I'm telling you that the seven churches in the book of Revelation were seven physical churches. There were seven churches in seven different geographical areas. And the Lord was speaking directly to those people that were in that church and to the angel, the pastor of that church. And here's what I want you to understand. That the trouble that was in the seven churches and the difficulty that were in the churches, it did not stop the Son of Man from walking in the candlesticks. Stay with me. Seven churches didn't get it all right. But apparently he found something in the church that was worth saving because he came to talk to them. When Lucifer became rebellious, blew himself up, made himself worthy of things he was not worthy of, tried. The Bible said that he was cast down into the earth. Now Jesus said he beheld Satan fall as lightning. Well, folks, I don't really know how to say this to you. So just follow my logic if you would. He's been here a long time. He's been working in the earth for a long time. Prince and power of the air. He controls the principalities of every region, every city, every state, all over the world. He's there. But you understand me when I tell you that just because he's in the earth... It does not mean that he can stop the will of God from being done in the earth. They grow together because hell is enlarging itself and the kingdom of darkness is working overtime. But I feel like telling you right now that the Lord said the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. He did not say that the gates of hell would go away. He said in the presence of the gates of hell, I'm going to build a church. Because they grow. <laughs> they grow together. Man, if the enemy don't stop fighting that church, they're going to have to close the doors. Name me one purely apostolic church that stood on the word that's ever closed their doors. Oh, well, I, I know so-and-so over there, man. He had an affair, and they, they, they locked the doors, like I said. Name me one that stood on the word and while they were standing, the Lord let the door shut. Well, so-and-so went to start a church. You know why that one closed? Because he wasn't called to be a pastor and he had, I want to be a pastoritis. And he should have submitted himself to a pastor and obeyed the word and sat under it and they'd have had apostolic revival. Boy, that went over like a piece of Velcro to zipper convention. Whole lead balloon. Just throw it out there and see who it hits in the head. You understand what I'm saying? Well, man, if the devil would just stop fighting, we'd have revival. No, we wouldn't. Because if we can't have revival in resistance, we're not going to have revival without it. You don't have to believe me when I tell you this. But the resistance in your life is what's kept you saved. Some of us... We don't know how to seek God if we're not getting pushed back. But while we're getting pushed back, we get down on our face and we talk to him and say, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And that's when you feel the nudge of the Holy Ghost say, I'll tell you what to do. Keep on praying. Keep on believing. God, please come get these tears. No, I'm not going to get the tears. They grow together. Oh, Lord. Maybe I should back up three minutes so some of you will preach with me again. You didn't like what I was preaching. The Egyptians had terrible motives. Over 400 years, they turned the people of God into slaves. 
Go back and read the story for yourself. It wasn't a pleasant place to be. It was awful. It was terrible. The children of Israel were absolutely oppressed. That's King James Bible language. They were oppressed. Do you know what the scripture said? The more they oppressed them. Man, if them Egyptians would have been nice to them people. You know what this story tells me in Exodus? We're going to grow whether they're pushing us or they're not. Because what God was multiplying, not in the absence of oppression, but in the midst of oppression, what God was growing in Egypt is exactly what he would build his church upon as they walked out of Egypt into the wilderness. And he began to clean them up and he began to clean them out. But understand me when I tell you that they grew together while they were in Egypt. They were being blessed. Don't tell me that the world's too bad for God to bless his church. I've come to tell you that the harder they put, the more we're going to grow. The harder the politicians push, the more we're going to grow. The more they try to tear us down, the more we're going to grow. Yeah, but pastor, they're growing too. That's all right. They grow together and harvest time is coming. They grow. But pastor, what you're saying then, Is that God works because of evil. No. I'm saying God works in spite of evil. So what you're saying is the wheat grows because of the tares. No, I'm saying the wheat was grown before the tares got there. But in the harvest, the wheat is what lasted. They grow together. In the midst of the twelve that were called by the Messiah himself from the seashores of Galilee and their places of work. He called them close to his side and for three and a half years they walked with him every single day perhaps. Hearing his voice, knowing him intimately like nobody else. Knowing all of his secrets as they sat around the fire at night and began to talk to them. You know some some think that the only miracles Jesus did are the ones that are recorded in the scripture. I, to be honest with you because he is the The living word, I believe he performed miracles all the time. Even in his childhood, I believe that he was a walking, living, breathing, moving miracle all the time. And I believe that in the darkness of the night, perhaps sitting on a Judean hillside somewhere, when they thought it was going to be a cold night, the God of heaven and earth who was uh, uh, now visible, the, the invisible image of God, the the visible image of the invisible God, I believe that just by the stroke of his hand, he could speak and fire would start. I believe that just by the spoken word that he could take his hungry disciples and say, boys, I'll be right back. And when he comes back, there are fish and loaves. I don't believe they were too surprised in the two times that he multiplied fish and loaves because I believe they'd probably seen him do it. I'm not preaching this doctrine. I'm just saying if he could do it then, why couldn't he do it before? And if he could do it then, why can't he do it now? These 12 walked with him. They loved him. They hung, they hung close to him, spent time with him, knew him intimately, inside and out. Watched him do miracles. Watched him raise the dead. Watched him heal the blind. Watched him heal the deaf. Watched him heal the lepers. Watched him have power in all the earth, everywhere that he went. Yet when they sat down, Jesus said, one of these is the devil. Sitting down at the table with 12 men that he should have been able to trust. He said, one of you sitting at this table will betray me. Oh, God, is it I? Lord, what are we going to do? Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? Lord, is it I? He said, well, it's the one that's got his hand in the bread right now. And Judas turns the bread loose. Whoa. So what are we going to do? Because Calvary's never going to happen. The church will never be started. What are we going to do? Judas just messed this party up. What are we going to do? Let me tell you what to do. Finish your meal. Because harvest is coming to a hillside with a rope on it. And Judas is going to have to deny himself mercy and walk away. But you understand me when the book of Acts opens up and the church is being brought together. The men of God are sitting around saying, what are we going to do for a replacement? Because the kingdom of God is going to go on even if Judas doesn't follow with us. I don't mean this to sound ugly or harsh at all right now. But they really could have just kicked Judas out right then. But they let God do the judging. And they let Judas make his own destiny. You hear me when I tell you they had the revelation because of who they were with. That Judas wasn't the reason there was going to be a church. And Judas sure was wasn't going to be the reason why there wasn't going to be a church. Twelve of them. Think about it. 
He creates two people in the beginning. Two people. And they can't live for God. And you've got a righteous Abel and a contentious Cain. But you know what? They grew up together. And the will of God was done through the lineage of Adam. And what the first man, Adam, let in, the second man, Adam, said, get out. By one man, sin entered in. And by one man, sin was expelled and taken care of. You hear this preacher when I tell you, I'm not going to let the doubters and the confusers and the naysayers keep me from believing that just because they don't believe God can, I've got to start believing God can. Stay with me. Mark 9, I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying, coming down off the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus comes walking down in 17 through 25. You can read it for yourself. I've got all the scripture, but I hope to God you trust me. The Lord comes walking down and a multitude comes to him. And this man comes to him in uh, verse number uh, 17. Well, the multitude answered and said, Master, I've brought you my son as a dumb spirit. Wherever I take him, it tears him and he foams and gnashes with his teeth. He said, I I spoke to your disciples. They could not understand the context of the story so powerful. Bishop, they just came off the Mount of Transfiguration. They just saw him transfigured and they couldn't even cast out a devil. Because they were convinced he could. They just weren't yet convinced they could. Spirit looks at him. He said, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. They brought him unto him. When he saw him straightway, the spirit tear. He fell on the ground. He wallowed foaming. He asked his dad, he said, how long, is, how long has he been doing this? He said, since he was a child. He oft times cast him in the fire into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us. And the Lord said, sir, if you can just believe. Man, if you can, if you can just believe, all things are possible to those that believe. Man, if you'll just, if you'll just believe. And all of a sudden, the man cried out. He cried out. He had tears in his eyes, and he said, Lord, I believe. But could you help? Could you help my unbelief? What? Isn't that like a paradox? I believe it helped out my unbelief. No, you don't understand the power of the believing. He said, if a man can believe, all things are possible. He didn't say that unbelief had to disappear. He just said, in the midst of your unbelief, I need some belief growing in there. Your family may have told you your boy's always going to be this way. And it caused, oh, Shandedebo Satabahaya. And it caused some unbelief. But while he stands there in unbelief, Jesus said, if a man can but believe, all things are possible. And he starts feeling something growing with the unbelief. Because they grow together. The fear that was in his heart became smaller than the faith that was in his spirit. He said, I believe and help my unbelief. And God saw enough faith in his belief that he looked at the boy and he said, Thou deaf and dumb spirit, I'm going to talk to you in the midst of unbelief. And I'm commanding you to come out. He said there is faith here and there is unbelief here and they grow together but there is enough belief for me to charge that deaf and dumb spirit. You hear me right now. There may be a lot of unbelief in your life but if there's just a little bit of faith it's enough faith to charge that thing. I'm hurrying. John 11. Thomas said, I'll die with him. In John 20, he said, I'm going to have to touch him if I'm going to believe. Some of us look at that and say it was doubt. I'm not going to argue with you, but I just want you to know what it created. Because when he said that, all of a sudden there appeared a man from the wall. Read it. The man walked in. He said, hey, Tom, see this? Why did, why, did, why, 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 did he do, why why did he do that? Because Thomas said, if he would show me, I believe. 
Well, see, he didn't have faith. No, you, you don't understand. Jesus just heard, I'll believe. He said, there's enough faith in that man. Because I know that eight chapters ago, he was willing to go to Jerusalem and die with me. And I'm not about to let this one little hiccup. You understand me. Thomas was there. And he saw the blood run down his face. And he saw the open wounds in his back. And he saw the spear go in his side. And they saw him put him into a tomb. There was a reason for Thomas to be worried. But he said, if I could see him and I could touch him, I would believe. And Jesus said, oh, I think there's a little faith left in there. I'm not going to let this moment of unbelief stop. They grow together. He saw the evidence. I was put in a tomb. But I wanted to faith to be revived and know I am the resurrection and I live I am him that was dead but now I live Thomas there's enough faith in there it grows together if your faith is frozen and it's tracked pending your perfection perfection if you've been convinced and you believe that heaven won't show up as long as there's traces of humanity still showing up in your life. You have believed a lie. Because the verdict is in and the judgment is clear. God will work. Who will let? Uh, I said God will work. Uh, you can read that scripture in the context that you'd like to. Try to make sense out of it. But here's what I get. This is the picture I get. God will work. Who will let? He's already working. But those who will let him work on them, then his work becomes the reality of their life. Am I making any sense to you? He's a God that never stops working. So God's going to work whether you let him work or not. And if you don't want your blessing... I'll take it because he's not going to stop working. What, 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 what are we going to do, Pastor? Because he's blessing everybody else. No, you don't understand. He's working. Who's going to let him work on you? Who's going to let him work in you? Who's going to let him work through you? Well, I'd like to believe that he could, but I have my doubts. That's all right. Let it grow together. Just let it grow together because your harvest is coming. It's all right if you have bad days because you're a human. You're going to bleed if they prick your skin. You're going to go through tough times. But can I tell you that even in the midst of what feels like defeat, there is victory that's growing in my life. I'm not saying I've never lost a battle, but I am telling you I'm going to win the war because I'm going to go through seasons where it feels like he's a far off, but I know he's a as close as the mention of his name. I'm closing. The strength is made perfect in weakness, not in the absence of it. <laughs> How is it? Brother Miller, that weakness and strength grow together. I don't know, but they do. Because the weaker I become, the stronger he gets. Sometimes I see words as pictures. Maybe it's just because my brain's messed up. I don't know. But what I see when I read this scripture is this strength is made perfect in my weakness. Is that I see myself in this picture trying to do it on my own. But the more weary I become, the weaker I get. And the weaker I become, the more I turn loose of it. And the more that I turn loose, the less I'm in control. And the less I'm in control. Come on, preach to me. The more he's in control. So in my weakness, while I'm saying, God, I don't know what to do, I hear his voice saying, just turn it loose. I got this. I'm big enough. I'm strong enough. You're not. I've got this, son. Hey, I know you're doubting right now. I know there's a little unbelief in it, but it grows together, son. you got enough faith in it. Just reach over here. Just turn that loose and grab hold of me. Turn it loose and lean on the everlasting arms. I've got this.
Come on, somebody get real enough in the Holy Ghost today to say, Lord, I believe, but I need you to help my unbelief. He grows together. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 sums it all up for me and for somebody in this house this morning that needs to hear this. Some of you are waiting to get perfect before you come to God. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were. Oh, man, that was good preaching. Can I do that again? God commended his love toward us in that while we were. He died wild. Are, are you feeling me? Where grace, 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 Brother Stephen, doth abound. Grace did much more. They grow together. There's always sin. <laughs> but grace will always be greater. If I could throw a little bit of this off me into you right now, you wouldn't be standing. His grace is always going to be greater. I'm not telling you to keep on sinning. I'm telling you to come to grace. Because His grace is greater than the sin. His grace is greater than the addiction. Come out. They grow together. I've got shortcomings, but I'm more than a conqueror. I've got failures, but all things are possible. I've got to keep believing. may be in this house today trying to convince yourself that you're worthy of grace let me take some pressure off your shoulders none of us are worthy of grace but he made us worthy it's not about where I've been or what I've done it's about who my father is and he has made me worthy of his grace today if Calvary was not for all of us then Calvary is not for any of us I believe in his blood